Hallos and the Curious. My name is Pendo and welcome to 12 Point Font, my writing podcast where I answer questions, conduct interviews, give advice, point out resources, gush over my favorite books, writers, and bold things, and then just generally babble as I muddle my way through the world of words. Today is episode 50. Woohoo! Fanfare and aplomb! And we will be covering close reading for writers, the second part of the Why Writers Read episode. Ooh, that's like a tongue twister. Close reading for writers why writers read. <laughs> but first, the idiomatic expression for today comes from Latvia, and it is their folks are all away from home. So to find out what that means, go ahead and put your Google machine away. Just stick around until the end of the show where I will have masterfully crafted for you a writing prompt to go along with that idiom. Okay, so this is one of 12 point fonts few episodes that would really benefit from listening to a previous episode. I mean, obviously, all of the episodes kind of build on each other, especially in the poetry series, but specifically, this episode was built as a sequel to our last episode. So if you haven't heard that, I would highly encourage you to start there. Otherwise, we're just going to dive right in. So if you remember from last episode, we were talking about close reading. We're just going to go ahead and get right into that today. As a brief refresher, here are my three steps to a successful close reading. Step one, the reading. To yourself and out loud. Step two, the engineering. That's disassembly, recognition, and construction. Then step three, the understanding. What do all these moving parts do? And how would I replicate the effect? All right, let's begin with step one, the reading. What does that mean? Well, obviously, what does it mean to read means literally to be literate. But what does it mean in this context? I always recommend that the first step of any kind of close reading is just plain old reading. It's a story. Read the story to yourself. If it's a poem, take in that poem, a children's book, a novel, an email, or a textbook. Just read it to yourself. Now, at this point, after the story is over, if you are doing a close read, not just a cursory read, you will want to write things down that you found notable about the story. Parts you enjoyed, things that made you take pause or take note, things you didn't quite understand, things you would have changed or would have done better, basically anything you think is notable. Also, write down how you felt about the story, what aspects you like and what aspects you didn't. It's all you, you as the reader, your personal opinions and your feelings. This is why I recommended last episode that you have some sort of a notebook or you have a format of writing that allows you to take notes. The next step in close reading is to read it aloud. I always recommend in anything you read or anything you write, read it aloud. Try reading it aloud. We often underestimate the sound of things. Seeing a poem on a page is much different from hearing it spoken word for word, line for line. I mean, look at where the inflection is, how much breath each sentence takes in the story, how much effort are they? What about the commas? Are they in a natural place for a pause? Are there periods? How abrupt does the language feel? Are there small words? Are they very choppy? Do you think this seems intentional or unintentional? Let's look at our story for today, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Here is paragraph one of Telltale Heart. True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How, then, am I mad? Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. 
fear not, I will of course post the link to the full story in the show notes as always. So if you have access to the story right now, I want you to go ahead and see how the punctuation plays into the reading if you can. Of course, this is a podcast, so if you can't, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, if you're looking at the story though, ask yourself if reading it out loud changes the way you saw the words, changes the way your mind envisioned the story. If you want, you can read it out loud more than once. You can reread sections back to yourself and ask yourself how you think the author would have placed the inflection. Ask yourself where you place the inflections in pauses and make notes in the margins or in your notebook about this. It also helps if you listen to somebody else read the words or try recording yourself and listening back. The point is to take notes of the pacing, the natural pauses, the areas where you stumbled or tripped over the words naturally. Try rereading that section. Ask yourself if that stumble was intentional or if it's maybe just an awkward way to put a series of words together that you simply hadn't noticed when your eyes were on the page. If you happen to have a learning or reading impairment like dyslexia or alexia or hyperlexia or some other impairment that makes it difficult for you to make out the words, then I highly recommend you getting audiobook versions of whatever you're reading if you're planning to do a close reading of them. There are also some great web widgets that read out web pages aloud as well. So now you've made some notes about what the text sounds like and how it reads. It's time to move on to part two of close reading. Engineering. Okay, engineering sounds a lot more big and bold and formal than it really is. I use the word engineering because we're not just talking about taking apart and dissecting sentences. We're looking at structure. We're looking at format. When you're close reading, you're looking at the building blocks of the story. Essentially, it's how the story was engineered, how it was put together, and what makes it work. Usually we call this syntax, but it's a bit, a bit different to that. Okay, so you say engineering, Pendo, but how am I actually supposed to do that? Right, this is where you go back into the story and work line by line, paragraph by paragraph, section by section. What you're doing is looking essentially for patterns and devices. I'll leave a list of literary devices in the show notes or a link to a website that has a lot of good literary devices and device explanations in the show notes. But let's just go through a section of the Telltale Heart while trolling for the engineering. We'll do it together. You'll see. It ain't so bad. It isn't bad. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded. With what caution. With what foresight. With what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old men than during the whole week before I killed him. Ah, creepy. <laughs> okay, let's just look at those first three sentences. All of them are short. The first two parallel each other in rhythm and beat. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. While all three of these sentences are five syllables, that last sentence has a completely different rhythm to it. Madmen know nothing. That would be something to make note of. The other thing to make note of is something called parataxis. This essentially big sounding word is a literary device that just means phrases or clauses placed one after another or in close proximity where there are no conjunctions or connectors, usually in the form of short to the point sentences. Remind you of anything in our story? Just in case you don't know what a clause is, the most basic version of a clause is just a complete idea including a subject, a verb, and an object. She went here. 
he went there. Madmen know nothing. Okay, then we move on. The third and fourth sentences, what do they sound like? But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. How do the layout of these sentences make you feel as a reader? How do you feel about the character reading these? Looking at them on the page, what do you notice? There are dashes. The dashes are breaking up the sentence. How does that change the rhythm? How does it change the cadence? Here, let me read it again with the punctuation. But you should have seen me, period. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, dash with what caution, dash with what foresight, dash with what dissimulation I went to work, exclamation point. Right? I mean, how does this affect the rhythm? How does it change the cadence? How does it represent the character? Then we have these two sentences that begin with you should have seen. This is actually something called an anaphora group. That is another fancy literary term that basically means clauses or phrases that start the same way. Think Martin Luther King's I had a dream speech, the repetition of 100 years later, or of I had a dream. Even more obviously, though, think of nursery rhymes. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Anaphora group. Then we look at that final sentence. I'll read it with the punctuation. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him, period. That whole sentence is complete. One complete sentence. It reads at a normal pace, with a normal rhythm, feels like a normal cadence. There are no clipped sentences. There are no repetitive clauses, sudden dash breaks, or interrupting punctuation. In fact, there's no punctuation within it at all, except for the very end with the period. You know, that ends the sentence. How does that change the way the sentence looks? How does that change the way the sentence reads? All right, let's look at the next section. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh, so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, that no light shone out. Then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? Let's go ahead and read that second sentence. And then, comma, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, comma, I put in a dark lantern, comma, all closed, comma, closed, comma, that no light shone out, comma, then I thrust in my head, period. How much punctuation is that? How does that change the way the sentence sounds? Then there's that section, closed, closed. This is repetition. You've probably heard of this literary term, and if you haven't, it's pretty clearly exactly what it sounds like. It's just repetition, as in repeating a phrase or a clause, or in this case, two words. All right, we could totally go through the whole paragraph and comb it fine-tooth style like we did with the section above it, but let us focus on the last two and a half sentences. Yes, I said, and a half. I'll go ahead and read it with the punctuation. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed, period. Ha! exclamation point. Would a madman have been so wise as this? Question mark. Notice how this parallels with that final sentence from the previous section. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him, period. 
This is another literary device called parallelism. This would be something that you would note. Parallelism is similar to, but distinct from, repetition in that parallelism mirrors structure or construction, balance or cadence. Parallelism is where things feel the same or mirror each other instead of just repeating. In this case, it's the punctuation and way of sentence construction that's mirrored. This is particularly obvious because of how different these two sentences are from the rest of the sentences. That's another thing to look out for in a work when close reading. What stands out and why? Okay, let's look at that second and a half sentence. Ha! Exclamation point. Would a madman have been so wise as this? That ha at the beginning there is what is known as a sentence fragment. It's another literary device, essentially meaning that a sentence is an incomplete clause. It's also an exclamation. One of the easiest ways to tell if something is an exclamation is the exclamation point after it. An exclamation is basically a device that means a forceful expression, a declaration, or a cry. It can also be an interjection. I object! And probably some other thing that I haven't mentioned, but you get the idea. So, we have an exclamation, and then we have the narrator speaking directly to the reader. Not just speaking to them, but asking them rhetorical questions. Wow! We did it. We made it through that paragraph. I have hit you with a lot of information. So let's all just take a deep breath, all right? Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. Okay, now I do want to say this. Close reading is intensive. Obviously, I would not expect anyone, myself included, to go through like a 150,000 word epic fantasy masterpiece line by line and word by word and sentence by sentence like this. In fact, the only time I would really recommend reading this closely is when you are trying to prove a point or decipher something, you know, when you're trying to figure something out. And slash or if you are writing a paper, academic or otherwise. In which case, honestly, I would recommend just choosing something, some one single thing to focus on in your paper, like how Edgar Allan Poe uses parallelism to express insanity in his short story, The Telltale Heart. That way you won't be looking at everything the entire time, but just at specific stuff. It can be really overwhelming. <laughs> I would, however, say that this is very valuable as a reader and a writer to occasionally go in with a fine-tooth comb when you find a particularly exciting or interesting work. Firstly, it helps to rehone your observational skills, and secondly, it's always useful and often fun to thoroughly explore good writing. It's like a literary scavenger hunt, or like syntax bingo. <laughs> okay, now for step three, the understanding. Now, if you remember from a billion years ago, the understanding is twofold. One, what do all the moving parts do? And two, how would I replicate the effect? Let's look at the examples we were using. The question now becomes, what might Poe have been trying to do with these sentences? There's the surface level, the simply telling of the story. That's level one of relaying information to the reader. This is the information that most readers, on the basic level, understand. So, the story we are getting from the first paragraph, in its basest communication, is relaying information about how our main character is going about committing murder. But then we look back at close reading, step number two, the construction. Now we get to ask ourselves not just how was this thing put together, but why? What purpose does the syntax serve? What purpose do the literary devices serve in the context of the story? Well, first of all, the narrator is trying to convince us they are not insane. Yet, when we look at the parallelism in the paragraph, 
There, we would ascribe the narrator's pattern of speech to one of its sanity. Then there are the long run-on sentences punctuated with exclamations and the ramblings, half to the audience, but also half seemingly to themselves. Then we look at this line. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed, period. This is the information we were provided without random interruption or emotional exclamation. Why was this information presented so cogently with such clarity while the other information seems to contradict the narrator's words in the style of the writing? What we know is that there seems to be a contradiction between the words and the syntax. What this tells us is that we are dealing with an unreliable narrator. Why would this information be that important to the story? Because it means we can't trust the information we are being given. This juxtaposition between what we're being told and how we're being told adds a layer of unease to an already disquieting story. Okay, so we get what these moving parts do and why they are effective. What was the point of all this? <laughs> Fair enough question. The great Edgar Allan Poe writes good story using really cool techniques. But how does this help you, the writer? See, the information you glean from the following steps provides you with a new writing tool because the next step is replication. No, I do not mean copy and paste another writer's style or works. What I mean is that by dissecting Poe's work, we as writers are able to explore a new method to disquiet an audience in this case, or a new method to make the reader distrust the narrator or the character. So if you as a writer find yourself in a position where you have a character that you want the reader to mistrust or you want the reader to get a sense of unease from a story, you now have a viable practical example. I mean, obviously there are probably numerous, countless other methods of doing this, but the purpose is that you now have another way to do this. Just make sure what the narrator is saying and the way they are saying it is contradictory. I mean, obviously, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the general gist of it. And that truly is the purpose of close reading as a writer. Apart, of course, from all the fun, the purpose is to extract new ways to be effective in your writing and, honestly, to just appreciate other good writing. Now, we're not going to go into all of the many ways that Poe's writing is effective because, frankly, we could be here for literal years. I mean, people do dissertations on this stuff, but I hope that this gives you some example of why close reading is important and how to do it effectively. Now, all that's left is to integrate what you learn into your own writing in your own style, in your own way with your own story and your own characters, your own, your own, your own. <laughs> cool. I hope that was helpful for all of you writers who are trying to expand your toolbox. Also, remember, close reading is a process. No need to rush. Take your time. Digest and enjoy the works you're studying. And don't forget to have fun. Speaking of fun, it is time for the book of the week. <laughs> nice segue. Thank you. The book, <laughs> the book I will be recommending this week is Smoke and Mirrors by Neil Gaiman. It is a short story anthology by an excellent writer. I'm pretty sure I've recommended like four other of his books. So also short stories are a great way to jump into close reading in a much less daunting manner. Finally, uh, I, I just want to acknowledge that this has been a difficult time globally. Everyone is dealing with crisis in their own way, and that plays out differently for different people. We are all getting used to a new 
abnormal normal. And I just wanted to thank you for taking the time during this time, during this weird, strange, strange season to listen to me. And I hope that this has been helpful. Ah, okay, enough sentiment for now. Ah. That is all I have for you today. If you want to come over and hang out with me on Instagram or Twitter at Pendoland, I'm actually posting stuff now. What? Or you can check out my website at Pendoland.com. If you're not yet tired of my voice, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are on. The intro and outro for the podcast is Meadows by Ramzoid, of course. All of this and anything I talked about in the show will be linked in the show notes as well. Also, if you have a second, please go ahead and give this a good rating on whatever podcasting platform you are on it just helped a lot with visibility and if even that is just not something you're into then just tell one person tell one other person you know about the podcast you'd be surprised how much that helps with visibility now for the idiomatic expression of the day today's was their folks are all away from home there are actually a couple english equivalents to this but the one i'm going to go with is they've got a few screws loose Essentially, it just means they're a little crazy. I don't know. I figured this would be a fitting idiom for today's episode. So for your writing exercise this week, the homework for today is go through the episode or go through the telltale heart and just follow the steps for yourself. See if you can extract a new tool for your writer's toolbox. If you really want to go for it, you absolute beast, you. You go ahead and do the whole darn story. I mean, yeah, good luck. Godspeed. You've got this. This has been 12 Point Font reminding you to stay creative, stay curious, and stay writing. Until next time, that is goodbye.